This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Would you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1? And I would ask you to stand with me as we read verses 15 through 23. Now, we're only going to be looking today at 15 through 19. Uh, Pastor Aaron will clean up after me next week, so I hope I don't cause too much trouble. But we're going to read the whole area, the whole passage, so that you get the context. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, everybody say no. no, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you'll let your word come alive and active in us, that we may be transformed by the power of your spirit today. Lord, not me delivering this message, but you, all of you and none of me, Lord, but take control of our time, and Lord, let us leave this place different than we came in, because you have spoken to us, and you have changed us, Lord. Thank you. We love you, and we give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about effectual prayer. Now, when I think about the book of Ephesians as we start today, that I, I get so excited about this book because of the practical nature of this book. This book is both deep, but it's also very practical for us as believers. Now, years ago when I preached through the book of Ephesians, I guess I'm a little long-winded because Wayne and Aaron are going through it in eight months. It took me 18 months to go through the book of Ephesians. In fact, on this passage Aaron gave me to speak, I'm thinking, how in the world do I speak on this passage in one message? Because the last time I spoke on this passage, each one of these, I think I did four or five messages in the first uh, verse 15 to verse 19. So there's so much richness in God's Word. But as we study the book of Ephesians, I remember one commentator divided the book of Ephesians with three simple words. Write these down. It may help you as you read Ephesians. If you're not reading through Ephesians during this series, uh, you should start. It's not too late. 
we're only in chapter one. So get going on it. My wife, even at her tender age, is uh, <laughs> memorizing the book of Ephesians. After she finished Philippians, she started on the book of Ephesians. Let me tell you, you're never too old to do something different. So stretch out. It not, if you don't want to just read the book of Ephesians, why don't you memorize it? How does that sound? It'll change your world, let me tell you. But there are three words I want you to write down and use these as you go through the book of Ephesians because it kind of helped me to think of Ephesians this way. Chapters 1 to 3 is the wealth of the believer. The wealth of the believer. In other words, Paul begins by explaining to these Christians how wealthy they are in Christ. All the riches they have of being in Christ. He calls them blessed. He says they are chosen, they're adopted. I mean, all those words that these guys have been spending weeks in describing the wonderful resources and blessings that are yours in Christ Jesus. He sets forth in this passage your identity. You know, we live in a world where people are saying, who am I? Why am I here? Well, read Ephesians. You see, if you're a believer, that question got answered at salvation because Paul begins to describe who you really are. You're not that abused person. You're not that abuser. You're not that alcoholic. You're not that prostitute. You're not whatever the world has called you or you have used to identify yourself. But in Christ, you are chosen. You are adopted. You are, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You are his kids now. You're, you're princes and princesses. That's an awesome thought. As Paul describes in this passage who you are. See, if you don't know who you are, you can never become what God intended you to be. That's why Paul, in almost every one of his epistles, he speaks about identity who we are in Christ. You know why? Because Paul had a past to deal with. How many of you in here don't have a past? Oh, oh, don't raise your hand because we all have a past. Amen. How about you, Steve? You got a past? Amen. I got a past. And you know what? I don't want to be known by my past. I want to be known by who I am in Christ. Amen. So that's what Paul's doing. He's stressing the wealth that you have in Christ Jesus. And then the second portion of the book, beginning in chapter 4, he starts out, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So now the next word is walk. You are wealthy in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. And so therefore now walk it out. You can never become what God intended you to be unless you understand the first three chapters. So he didn't start with chapter 4 and say, live like this when you don't even know how or you don't even know what it's about. He starts out by giving you some good word. And then he says, now live it out. And it's interesting as you study on where you're to live it out, it's all about relationship. Look at, he, he talks about gifts that are to be used in the body of Christ. He talks about relationships like marriage, husbands and wives, and how you raise your kids, and where you work, and how you're to act, and all these kind of things. And in the body, in the church of God, how we're to live, how we're to walk this out. Well, look, we won't walk right if we don't know those first three chapters. And then he ends 
chapter 6, verses 10 through the end of the book, he talks about the warfare of the believer. The warfare of the believer. In other words, he's saying, you're in a battleground, not a playground. And it's time some of you quit acting like children playing around and got serious about the war you're in. Now, the good news is this. Don't get nervous. The good news is this. You're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. You already have the victory. So we don't need to be, oh, give me the victory, give me the victory. He's saying, know what you have, and once you know what you have, you can fight from that position. The war is won. The skirmishes are real. The battle is real. The enemy is real. But you have everything you need. And then he goes and describes all those beautiful pieces of armor that we're to put on as we stand against the wiles of the enemy. We don't turn our back. We face him. I'm not afraid of the devil. Why? Because I've already won. But I, I am a person who will stand on the... I'm not as powerful as the devil in my flesh, but in Christ I have all his power. So you see, I don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be a demon hunter. All you need to be is a person standing on the promises that you have in Christ Jesus. I've seen this truth all over the world. No matter where I go, no matter what demons we face, we have a power that is greater. Amen? So when I know who I am, I can walk it out. And when I start walking it out, you're going to get into trouble. You're going to face war. And so as you start walking it out, God says, but don't worry. I've given you everything you need to overcome. So, Paul, as we come to this next section now, after Wayne and Aaron have so challenged us with the blessings we have, Paul comes to a place of prayer. The passage we're looking at today, I've entitled Effectual Prayer. Now, you may say, what in the world does effectual prayer mean? Well, let me give you a definition. Effectual prayer is successful in producing a desired or intended result. Effectual means just simply effective. How many of you want effective prayers? How many of you find, now be honest, how many of you find it hard to pray? I find it hard to pray. A lot of times I find it hard to pray. No need to lie about it. Prayer is hard work. Can I get an amen to that? How about you, Teddy? Is it easy to pray? No, it's not, is it? It's not easy to pray. You know why? Because our mind takes off in nine million directions. I'll tell you when it's easy to pray. When you're in a foxhole, then it's easier to pray. You got some bullets flying around your head, or the devil's all over the place, and you find, well, I could pray. But usually about what you pray there is, help! That's about what you pray. <laughs> but you know, God intends us to have a deeper relationship than that in prayer. Amen? So he, effectual prayer is effective prayer. James 5.16 says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to pray, I want to accomplish much. Amen? I want to get some stuff done. I don't want to waste God's time nor my time. So I want to pray prayers that are effectual. Well, then you say, well, what in the world is an effective prayer? Let me give you a verse. Turn there real quick. 1 John chapter 5. So go over to 1 John 5. If you begin at verse 11... John is writing about assurance. 
He says, you can have assurance, assurance of your salvation. If you're here today, and maybe you've been having a struggle in your walk with Christ, you're going, man, I just don't even know if I'm saved. No, you can know. What do you mean? How can I know? Well, he says right here, he that hath the Son hath life. It doesn't say he that hath the Son doesn't have struggles. It says he that hath the life, Son hath life. He that does not have the Son, what? Does not have life. Either you have the life, the Son, and you have life, or you don't have the Son, and you don't have life. That's assurance. And he says in verse 13, I've given you these things so that you may know, what? That you have eternal life. So if you're struggling with your assurance of salvation today, grab a hold of this verse. But then he moves on. He says, man, if that's not enough, let me tell you, you can be assured that your prayers get answered. How many want to pray prayers that get answered? Amen? I want to pray a prayer that gets answered. So this is how you do it. Look what it says. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked from him. So here's the assurance. If you ask, so the first thing is you better ask, right? And he says, if you ask according to his will, so I want to pray according to his will. He says, we know this, that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we know this, that he gives us what we ask for. Now, the ticket here is asking according to the will of God, correct? So if I want to pray something that is the will of God, one place I can go is to the scripture and find out what is God's will. Amen? Now, if I look to Ephesians, I find two prayers. Two prayers. A prayer here in chapter 1 and a prayer in chapter 3. If you study those prayers, you can learn how to pray effectually. What do you mean? Because if I could pray what Paul prayed, because this is an effectual prayer, this is a prayer that God answers. When I learn to pray prayers that God answers, I'm going to see a lot more happening. So Paul prays effectually. Now let me answer this question. How is your prayer life? Would you consider it to be effective or quite sleepy? Quite ineffective? Do you feel like your prayers don't get much higher than this ceiling? Well, when you come before God in prayer, let me ask you, what do you pray? Do you pray for more knowledge of him? Do you pray that you may know him in a deeper way? Or do you pray like this? Maybe this is some of your prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my laptop to keep. I pray my stocks are on the rise and that my analyst is wise. That all the wine I sip is white and that my hot tub's watertight. That racquetball won't get too tough. That all my sushi's fresh enough. I pray that my cell phone still works that my career won't lose its perks. My microwave won't radiate. My condo won't depreciate. I pray my health club doesn't close and that my money market grows. And if I go broke before I wake, I pray my Mercedes they won't take. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, that characterizes, we laugh at that, but that characterizes the substance of some of your prayers. But is that what Paul prays for here? 
Does he pray for us to be healthy and wealthy? Does he? Does he? No. It's not a trick question. (laughs) Does he pray for them to be free of challenges and problems? Did you read that in that passage? No. So when we look at these verses more carefully, we see that Paul prayed a very focused and specific request for these people. What he prays for them is truly effectual in nature. So let's look at the verses a little more carefully. But before we do, look at the context. Where's Paul? Do you know where Paul is right now as he's writing this? He's in prison. Uh Uh-oh. Now, when we think of prison, it's kind of a bad place, really bad place. But I've been in parts of the world where I've seen the prisons that are really bad places. But this was not just a really bad, this was a really, really bad place. Paul was in a dungeon, so to speak, in a very dark, dreary, below the, below the surface of the street type of a, of a prison. And Paul's writing from this prison. Now notice that as he begins this epistle, he doesn't mention how terrible his circumstances are. He doesn't say, oh man, I hate the mice in this prison. This is cold. It's terrible. It's awful in here. Man, I want you guys to feel, I love you, but man, I'm. Str- this is terrible. Now, you don't read that in this passage. In fact, from this prison, he's led by the Holy Spirit to write a letter to the believers in Ephesus. And his heart is being directed toward others, not his condition. Have you ever noticed that when you're in a tough place, you turn in not out. Hello? Are you with me? When you're struggling, where do you look? It's not usually here. It's here. You go into the room. You shut the shades. You say, hey, Siri, play sad music. (laughs) And you, you turn off the lights. You roll up in the corner in a fetal position. And you feel bad for yourself. You do what we call a party, a pity party. You see, we don't normally think of others when we're hurting. But notice in verse 3, as he begins this epistle, he speaks a blessing on them. He's thinking about other people, and he's blessing them. He says, grace and peace. He starts out with grace and peace. Let me tell you, there is never peace without grace. You don't know grace, you're miserable. Now, grace isn't your wife's name. I'm talking about the grace of the Lord. Because sometimes if you know grace, the name grace, you may be miserable. I don't know. But grace is not that. Grace is God's goodness, his favor towards you and his saving grace. And when you know his grace, you know his peace. There's nothing like being at peace with God. Amen? So he blesses them. And then, as we've been studying in verses 4 through 14, he breaks out into this praise. He's not whimpering. He's not whining. He's not complaining. He's not trying to find an ear to listen to his troubles. He, He breaks out in a praise session in prison. And as he breaks out in this praise session, 
he starts talking about the blessings that are his in Christ. And the blessings that they have in Christ Jesus, regardless of where they were born, regardless of who their parents are, because he's writing to Gentiles, not Jews. These are Jewish, these are Gentile believers in Ephesus. Some of them, the early ones, were, were obviously Jewish believers, but not received at this point yet. Many were not received. But Paul's writing to them, and he's saying, look, this is who you are. This is what you have in Christ Jesus. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, and he breaks it on down. Now note this. When he's down, he looks up, not in. There's an upward look, not an inward look. Then in verse 15 to 23, he begins, he turns from his praise session... And he begins a prayer. See, praise leads to prayer. Can I say, I need a little amen from somebody. Where are you, Steve? There you are. It's it's not ungodly to say amen, okay? I know. I grew up a Baptist. I know. Sometimes you got to be quiet, but you can can shout here, okay? So what we want to do is we want to understand that Paul's saying, look, out of praise... Out of a thankful heart, I'm now going to pray for you. And as he looks up in praise to the Lord, he's all of a sudden brought to his knees in concern for others. Notice he's not even mentioning himself. It's not about him. He's deeply concerned for others, and he starts this book with an upward song of praise. Now he looks outward and lifts others upward to the Lord in prayer. That's how it works. You start this way, then you can look this way, and you take them and you bring them this way. He purposefully puts his focus in the right direction. Now, can I ask you this, or warn you about this, I should say. Look, when you're having difficult times, And inward focus, as I said, causes a tendency for us to move into despair. Now look, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we deny our circumstances. But in the midst of our circumstances, all we can do is focus on how bad our conditions are. We'll always be in despair. But when we purposefully move our attention off of those circumstances on something that is bigger and on someone who has an answer to our problems, things look different. And all of a sudden, our heart opens up to love other people. See, a self-focused person is very selfish. When we look up and we lift others up, we become very self-sacrificing. Before we examine this prayer, I want you to notice the nature of Paul's prayer. So write these things down quickly because these are some things I learned about prayer here in this passage from Paul. First, it was addressed to God the Father, the Father of glory. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, 
He knew where to go, number one. Amen? I don't know who you're praying to, but I know where to go when I need to pray. And it isn't to my wife, I'll tell you. It's to the Lord. Amen? Amen. To Daddy, to Father. Notice what he calls him, Father. But he also adds another word, Father of glory. Father is an intimate term. In other words, he knew he had access. That's another word in itself you're going to learn about, access. We have access. Constantly you have access. Like your daddy's the president, you can walk in the office. I can't, but you can. Why? Because your daddy's the president. Well, our God is God. And he's our father. And because he's our father, we have access at all times to the father. So look, we can go and we can lay our burdens at his feet because he's daddy. But also because he's glorious, I know he's got the answer. See, glorious is something holy, pure, awesome, magnificent. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. And because he's father of glory, there's nothing too difficult for him. So I can go to him and I can lift you up because, look, this relationship is based on intimacy, but it's also based on awe. I'm in awe of how awesome my daddy is. You know, when I used to have a dream as a little kid, I'd get up in the night and I'd run down the hallway. I'd find my mom and dad's room and dive in the bed between my mom and dad. And I got really close to my dad because I knew no monster was big enough to fight my dad. I was then also, I wasn't afraid anymore. You see, Abba, Daddy, Father is who we go to. And we know he's big enough to deal with every one of our issues. Number two, his prayer was continual. It says without ceasing. In other words, he was committed to praying for others. Look, folks, I hope you're committed to praying for me and each other. You know, that's a selfless type of life when we pray for others. He prayed for others. Number three, he was not alone in praying for the church at Ephesus. One translation says, for this reason, I too having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, among you and your love for all the saints. He's using that little word too. I'm just one of others praying for you. Join the club. You know, sometimes you feel like you're the only one out there. You're not. Look around. There's a building full of people. Trust them enough to let them pray with you, to pray for you. And then, in other words, it was a family thing for him. He wasn't alone praying. We got a family, folks. Look at number four. Paul's prayer flowed out of a grateful heart for the believers in Ephesus. You know, Paul prayed for them, and, and first he thanked God for them. Why? Because, this is a very significant statement, because these were Gentiles, and there were Jews that didn't accept these Gentiles. And so Paul is praying, saying, oh, man, even you (coughs) have been brought into this eternal plan and purpose of God, and you are special, and I am so thankful for you. It is not about a club. Some little 
club. But Paul recognizes their significance and their value in the body of Christ. Every one of you in this room, regardless of your background, regardless of your color, regardless of your nationality, regardless of where you're coming from, regardless of what you've gone through, look, today you need to know that in the body of Christ, you are significant. You are valued. You know, I think it was Wayne who was preaching on being chosen. I love that. You know, you can go all day talking about what in, ver- in this early verse, what, in verse 4, what does it mean to be chosen? But there's one theological truth in that whole passage. Grab this. You were wanted. Turn to someone next and say, you were wanted. Now get this, get this. There are no mistakes in the body of Christ. Hello? Did you get that? There are no babies that are, oops, oops. I didn't plan. You know, I hate, well, let me stop here a second. I don't want to get too worked up. Let me tell you, you know, I had six sons. That's not normal. See, in society, that's, that's like, are you crazy? People say, how many children do you have? Six. Oh, I feel sorry for your wife. I'm thinking, you don't need to feel sorry for my wife. We loved, wanted, accepted every one of those kids. They were special to us. When we went to a doctor one time, I think it was on number four, he said, are you sure you want to keep this baby? You already have a bunch. We walked up, said thank you. We walked out, and we never went back to that doctor. Because there's no mistakes in the body of Christ, no accidents, no whoops. Can I get an amen for that? Some of you people ought to be crying right now about that one because you've lived your life feeling like you've been a mistake. And you need to wake up and realize you're significant in the body of Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. You're significant. If God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. Huh? Amen. The ladies get that number, don't they? Maybe I should say if you had an iPhone, your picture would be on it. How's that? That's a, that's a little more relevant nowadays, huh? So Paul flowed out of a grateful heart. But lastly, Paul's prayer was a petition for the saints to come to a deeper and fuller grasp of the truth of God. You know what? There's a danger of ignorance in the body of Christ. Some of us think, if I don't know it, I'm not accountable for it. Well, let me tell you. Some people say ignorance is bliss. But I want to tell you, in the body of Christ, ignorance is never bliss. Ignorance is just flat out dumb. Because I want to tell you, if you don't know who you are, you can never become what you are in Christ. If you don't know the riches you have in Jesus, you will never live according to those. I can give you a check that says a million on it, but if you never cash it, you'll never experience the blessing of a million bucks. You see, your bank account in heaven is limitless. The riches of Christ's glory is limitless. And you need to understand that. And so his prayer is that they might know. He doesn't want them to be ignorance anymore, ignorant anymore. Now, in just about two minutes is about all the time I've got. Pastor Aaron's getting nervous. And some of you got your roast that's burning at home. No, I guess you don't do those anymore. Um, maybe burgers. Uh, but look at this prayer real quick. Paul gave us reasons for this prayer, and then he gave us a request. I'm just going to mention these, and then Pastor Aaron's going to pick it up next week and really delve into this prayer. 
But the reasons he prayed for them, because he says in verse 15, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord and your love toward all the saints. Let me give you this reason. Number one, he prayed for them, first of all, because with what he already said, it's assumed. He's assuming this. For this reason, what's the reason? I already told you. Because you're rich in glory and and rich in in Christ Jesus. All that he has is yours. But I want you to notice, as he mentions these riches, he mentions their security in the Father, the salvation of the Son, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. He talks about these three wonderful riches that are theirs. And all three times, he says this in verse 6, in verse 12, in verse 13, that these riches are for the praise of his glory. They're for the praise of his glory. Whatever you've been given by God is not to make you look good. Whatever you've been given by God is for the praise of his glory, both spiritually as well as physically. Whatever God's given you, it is for his praise and it is for his glory. Also, the next reason he gives you there is, look at, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith and love. Look, Paul's looking around and he's saying, I got a word. I heard the news has been coming back to this prison about those folks in Ephesus and their faith. I've heard about their faith. First of all, their saving faith is implied there. But I think he's also saying their faithfulness to the gospel. That he is so moved by their faith, their faith in the Lord and their faithfulness to the Lord that he says, I just got to stop and praise because I just keep praising. He goes on and says, I'm thanking God and I'm praying for you. So he gets all worked up about how their faith, but you know what else he says? And their love. They knew how to love. You see, when you really have faith, what follows is love. Faith, hope, and love. He's given them hope. He's talked about their faith. And outflowing is love. Did you know that love is worked out in community, as we said earlier? And look, folks, if you're not involved in a place where your faith can be tested and tried in small environment, if you just come and walk out and you don't get real with people, you'll never learn what it is to really love. And Paul prays. He praises, but he also prays that this faith and love will grow. And then he says, look, I'm also praying for you because I want you to know him more. I want you to know the the wisdom, and I want you to know in verse 17, I want you to know the wisdom, and I want you to know the revelation in the knowledge of him, and having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. He's concerned that they may grow deeper. They may know more and more of the Lord. And then he prays three specific prayers that you go home and study. Pastor Aaron will hit these next week, but look at them here. He prays that they'll know in verse 18, what is the hope to which they've been called. I'm praying that for you today, that you might know the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. The hope that you've been called to, not just your salvation, but the purpose and the blessings he's called to you 
and he purposed it for you. Look, this ought to bring you encouragement because no matter what you're going through right now, he will fulfill what he's promised to you. You say, yeah, but I let him down. Well, he hasn't let you down. He doesn't intend to. And whatever he called you to, he'll fulfill his purpose. And then he says that, get the, oh, this is just out of blow your way, that you'll know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, earlier he had talked about them knowing Christ, their inheritance. But this is the different side of this. He's saying now that you might know the riches of being Christ's inheritance. Did you know that you are loved so much and wanted so much because you're his reward? You're, you're Christ's reward. Did you hear that? You're Christ's reward. Turn to the person next and say, you're loved so much, you're cared for so much because Christ gets you in the end. You're his reward. You are his reward. And then lastly, look what he prays this. Look at, get a hold of this. I know I keep saying lastly. Really, lastly means nothing. Okay, that, that means that's the last thought of that one. Lastly means I'm on the left. Listen, listen. Listen to what he prays. And he doesn't just pray that you might know his power. Get this. He says that you might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now get, he didn't stop there as though saying that you may know the, the omnipotent power of God. He says, according to the working of his great might that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, that you might know the resurrection power in your life. Power for what? Power for whatever you need today. Oh, listen, what are you facing? What are you up against? God wants you to know today that his power will give you what you need to face your inner hurts and your fears. Come on, don't run. Go with the power and face that that stuff that keeps holding you back. And the power to abandon those evil habits. Some of you are sitting here and you're saying, oh man, I've blown it so bad. No, listen, no matter where you're at, he has the power for you to abandon those evil habits. And the power next for broken relationships. Some of you in this room say, man, I messed up every relationship I ever had. Good news, good news. The gospel gives you the power to heal broken relationships. Kids restored to parents, fathers to their children. When you broke the relationships, you thought you'd never see them again. God can restore. God can restore the broken parents, the broken child. The power to change bad attitudes and stop your obnoxious behavior. Some of you are saying, that's just the way I am. Get over it. That's not the way you are in Christ. The power of God is to break those ugly things. Quit hurting people. And break those things. And the power to reach out and help others in need. It's not all about you. God gives you the power.
to help others. I want you to stand with me and I'm going to ask you to activate this message. In Kuwait, we love the word activation because that means we ask the saints to take what they've heard and do something with it. Well, this is a prayer. And you'll learn a lot more about this prayer next week. But I want to tell you that what God wants us to do is first, he wants you to pray that prayer. Open your Bible back up so you can pray it. But here it is, that you will know the hope of his calling. Lord, let me know the hope to which you have called me. Lord, let me know that hope. And Lord, let me know the riches, the riches of being your inheritance. And Lord, let me know the surpassing greatness of your power for all those things in my life that are screwed up and the relationships I've heard and all those things, Lord. You bring your power into my life. And you want an effectual prayer? It's done. You pray this and you're going to see the results. But after you pray it, I want you to turn to someone else and I want you to pray that prayer over them. Boldly, out loud, slap your hand right on their head and you just pray for them right out loud. Lord, that they may know the hope of your calling. They may know the riches of being your inheritance. They may know the surpassing greatness of your power. Then come to this table. Come to this table and partake of the Lord's table. It's open to you who believe and you who want to celebrate that power. It's through the resurrected Lord. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. And that resurrected Lord today, it's his power. Come together and celebrate. So begin to pray right now for yourself and then for someone else all over this room. Throw down that shyness. Pray for someone. Don't let them be alone. Pray for them. Be bold. Pray it right out loud for them. Shout it out, Lord, that they may know. They may know the hope of your calling. Each person in this place, Lord, the hope that you've called them to. They may know, Lord, the riches of being your inheritance. And they may know the surpassing greatness of your power, Lord Jesus. Lord, work in this place. Work in our hearts, Lord. Transform us, Lord. Transform our prayer life, Lord. table's open. Whenever you're ready, you come and partake. Partake together. Bring someone with you. Share in the Lord's table. God bless you. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.